This is the Collective Resistance Podcast with your hosts, Leo and Fabiola. We will be discussing why we find ourselves resisting the narratives of the Common Collective, as well as why the Common Collective resists new information. Fabiola. Hey, Leo. What's happening? Well, (laughs) I wanted to lead off with a little clip. Please do. Okay. I'm not going to really give it any preamble. I'm just going to play it, and then you guys tell me what you think. You just want people to guess what we're going to talk about? We can talk about it after. Okay. So hang on a minute. All right. We all must try to understand what is happening. We need to try to understand what is happening. And in my humble opinion, ideology is only going to get in your way. Nobody understands what is happening. Not Buddhists, not Christians, not government scientists, not, you know, no one understands what is happening. So forget ideology. They betray, they limit, they lead astray. Just deal with the raw data and trust yourself. Nobody is smarter than you are. And what if they are? What good is their understanding doing you? People who walk around saying, well, I don't understand quantum physics, but somewhere somebody understands it. That's not a very helpful attitude for preserving the insights of quantum physics. Inform yourself. What does inform yourself mean? It means A, transcend and mistrust ideology. Go for direct experience. What do you think when you face the waterfall? What do you think when you have sex? What do you think when you take psilocybin? Everything else is unconfirmable rumor, useless, probably lies. So liberate yourself from the illusion of culture. Take responsibility for what you think and what you do. That was the world-famous Terrence McKenna. And I apologize on the audio there. I know the background music's a little loud. I didn't produce that clip. That is <laughs> on YouTube, which we'll have a link to that in the uh, the show notes. It has subtitles. Well, it's actually a it's, it's an animated text uh, video, so it actually has all the words he's saying. You know, come oh, on I the video. Oh, I have the words. You've got the words too, in yeah. My book. So yeah. I know, and it's hard to understand what he says because he's got kind of a squirrely voice. That that's a clip where he recorded that, uh, or somebody actually recorded it of him just giving a uh, a lecture somewhere, and uh, then they uh, that was like back in the. I mean, I think it was the '80s or something, and and uh, he's he's passed away. He's long since been uh, been uh, deceased. But uh, I thought it was apropos because uh, you know I really think that uh, what a lot of people aren't willing to do in this day and age is consume raw data and come to their own conclusions from it. They really need someone else at some level of authority to make sense of it, parse through it, and mm-hmm. uh, tell them what they need to believe about it. And we've gotten so far away from uh, uh, 
being willing to do that work on our own. Yes. That it it really is just something people don't even want to touch with a 10-foot pole. Yeah. For most people, I think a graph, a colorful graph with a few numbers might do it. I was just talking to a family member. I mean, I was just talking to my family. We had a big episode about the vaccines, you know. And um, just sharing with them in Portuguese, since everybody here speaks Portuguese, what I found, just, you know, just very concise manner and just talking about some of these statistics. And I had somebody just respond with a graph. And, like, they probably it was, didn't it was, even it was read a sexy graph, right? Yeah, it was nice. <laughs> it was well done. It had very few words in it. The word efficacy was in there. The number 100% was in there. But it's interesting when you start talk, breaking it down. Okay, 100% of what? I mean, how did they measure all this? A pretty graph would, would just stop people from thinking. And that's, uh, that's very concerning because then you're not really bringing that experience to the present and sitting with it. You're just letting every, somebody else make a pretty graph and that is enough for you and you're going to put the stuff in your body based on a pretty graph that has very very limited information and and to provide context you didn't mention it but the the graph was specifically about a vaccine related to covid-19 yes a vaccine related to covid here in brazil that was developed here so even better than the pfizer vaccine apparently 100% effective yeah i don't know that we've ever had a vaccine that effective <laughs> and all know, of a sudden yeah. we've developed one in a matter of months yeah but but uh, just so you know some of you may be getting uh, tired of our COVID content. This is actually not a. I hope not. I hope not. I hope not. But maybe that that isn't what we wanted the show to only be about. But but yes. uh, it's top of mind for us. Um, it's top of mind for everybody. <laughs> but but this episode was really we wanted to. This was actually kind of ad hoc. And yes. We wanted to kind of mark the moment in history because we're we're really at an inflection point uh, with what's happening in the world as a result of what occurred uh, last week at the uh, United States Capitol building. Um, You know, obviously you've got the news that uh, would have you believe that 9-11 was reenacted at at the uh, um, Capitol building. And and then you also have, uh, you know, the other side. uh, And you have many stories in between, right? There are many, many, many stories in between. And so, um, you know, we really want to people to go out and consume the information for themselves, right? There is a lot of data. There's a lot of video. There's a lot of uh, uh, testimony from people who were there and whatnot. And uh, we really think that's important. And that kind of ties back into that first clip is, you know, instead of going to the news, because honestly, I've consumed some of that news, you know, from CNN, Fox News. I mean, you would think that, uh, I mean, literally, you you, you would think that uh, terrorists had, had come in with machine guns and tried to kill the congressman and and uh it, it it's hyperbole it's it's crazy crazy hyperbole and uh um we wanted to do this episode to kind of talk about that because we're now at this this uh point where there is no gray area right there there is uh people on one side and there are people on the other and even though we've had that kind of invisible uh, line for some time. Now that line is becoming very visible. And now literally 
what we're seeing is uh, a purge lately. Uh, I mean, just within the last few days over the weekend, we've seen a purge of personalities that are on the uh, what you would call the right wing side, you know, just purge from all of these uh, social media uh, service providers, um, which, you know, according to um, censorship laws, there isn't anything that keeps those companies from doing that. It's only the government that can't censor somebody, but a private company can do that, uh, which is a topic we want to discuss tonight, right? We want to we want to kind of expand people's understanding of uh, censorship when that applies, when it doesn't. And uh, really, what censorship now means uh, for people in this day and age, because we have these ubiquitous platforms, do we need to reassess and look at censorship differently than we might have when it was just the printing press and the newspaper and things of that nature? So what, what comes to mind? I know we, we were, since we're doing this more ad hoc, does anything jump out at you uh, uh, from what I just mentioned? What jumps out of, at me is that there's a narrative of what happened by, what, six corporations that own? Yeah, six corporations that own basically all the media in the, definitely in the United States, and uh, uh, they certainly have tentacles into uh, media conglomerates around the world as well. Yes, and there's that narrative, um, which is, you know, when they play it on the news, it's flashy, it's elegant with this pretty people speaking, very well-spoken people. There's graphs, there's sexy graphs. Lots of sexy <laughs> graphs, right? Um, and maybe they had people there, this book on the news too, that said X, Y, and Z happened. I don't know. It's I really distrust the media these days. And there's also alternative news too. Um, and there's so many different versions. And even if you think about a car accident, right? When you got into a car accident, there were two people involved. Even that, you would have different stories, different perspectives, right? So it's really hard to to be able to get to a conclusion of what happened, right? Well, and, and uh, I, I know one... What do we believe? <laughs> I know one tweet that really kind of just flipped my head. You know, I was just like, I couldn't believe when I read it. I was like, man, if anybody's a critical thinker, they're going to see this through and through. And here, let me read it for you. Um, it came from... Uh, let me just open up my, my phone. Okay, it came from Bernie Sanders... And he writes, let's be clear, if Trump is too dangerous to send out a tweet or a Facebook post, he's too dangerous to be commander-in-chief. Donald Trump must be removed from office immediately and held accountable for his horrific acts of sedition, violence, and chaos. So, you know, I'm not even a Trump supporter, if you will. Um, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people gray area in between. You know, in fact, it's ironic reading a tweet from uh, Bernie Sanders because I was somewhat stumping for him early on in the primary process. And I really thought that uh, if uh, a Democrat was going to win the presidency, then it was Bernie Sanders that I wanted to win it because I really did see a lot of benefit around uh, universal health care. You know, I think that that is something that, that we ought to be able to do 
I don't know that I, I consider it a human right. It's it would be a nice to have, but but uh, I consider the amount of money we spend on wars and and the military and whatnot. I think that we can uh, invest in in the people of America and, and get universal health care. So so I'm very much for that. But I thought it was ironic then to hear. I happen to still follow him because I've followed him since I I started liking him. And and uh, even though um, I don't like that he dropped out of the race against Joe Biden, I thought that he really. Uh, uh, screwed the pooch on that, you know, and then I think he's been horrible uh, as a result of that as far as keeping Joe Biden honest and stuff like that. He's been really piss poor. And then he comes out with that that tweet. And if you read it, you know, he says that if the president of the United States has to be censored uh, from Facebook or Twitter, then he's not fit to be commander in chief. So we know that these uh, big tech platforms are very, very uh, in line with the uh, the left wing side of the political spectrum, and so we know that they were stumping for Joe Biden. So now they've created that they've created. There's been this narrative that's been created about this 9/11 event that's occurred uh, at the Capitol, and now they are uh, censoring uh, the president as well as. Uh, um, Everyone, you know, that, that uh, uh, has uh, stood up for the president in some way, shape or form, or really people that even haven't stood up for him. They're just uh, popular conservative personalities. They're getting kicked off. So so they've created that situation. And now they're saying because that situation exists, it means that he's unfit to be president. And you can believe that he's unfit to be uh, president for other reasons. And, and I think those could be valid. But for Bernie to, to post this, that because the social media platforms had to get rid of him off their platform, that means he's unfit to be president. That is crazy to me. That is the circular logic that they've created their own little tornado. And anybody who can't critically look at that and say, okay, that that's messed up that you'd make that argument, then that's challenging for me to, to have a conversation. I know you want to jump in. <laughs> I do, because when you read that, what it stood out for me was that you were basically saying Bernie Sanders is saying that corporations which don't have were not elected exactly right <laughs> they are actually more powerful than elected officials yeah yeah because they have decided that th- there's a liability for uh, that person's voice to be on their uh, their network then then that means that I mean, I mean it's just mind numbing because you know then I look and you've got like uh, you know the leader of Iran has still has a Twitter account you know <laughs> <laughs> and all these other known dictators right that that I don't think anybody would argue these people are dictators and they've got Twitter accounts and whatnot but you know the president of the United States doesn't have one so I mean it's just I don't understand how they want people to take this seriously it's very difficult to do that. Yes, and and I was hoping that you were going to go do a little retrospective of the experience of the American people during the four years that Trump was president. You know, the economy, uh, jobs, all these things. And I know some people argue, well, it's because the presidency before the current presidency that kind of laid the way of how well things went or didn't go. And and that ties back a little bit with 
your um, audio you play of Terrence McKenna because we there's these stories going on outside, you know, of our immediate reality, right? So sitting down in a chair, talking on a microphone. Um, there's people, there's opinions, there's all this. There's the big corporations, there's the Pope talking, there's dictators talking. But what was your immediate experience during those four years, right? Because that is the truth and that is the reality. No, I, I agree. What What was your, you know, like we have one friend who I remember something they said specifically, you know, um, I don't like. Trump at all, but but uh, my uh, investments. my investments are doing wonderfully, <laughs> and, and and we definitely know Fabi and I know that investments are not the only judging criteria on a presidency. But but I mean it was a it was a funny statement, you know, to say okay, well that's interesting. So maybe maybe you could expand upon that. Maybe you could say okay, you know that that didn't go the way I thought it was going to go, and it's good. So uh, maybe there's other benefits there now. From from our experience, the the past four years as a a hardworking middle class American family, right? I think those are probably our best four years. We probably made the most money. We got to explore. Um, we... You you made the most money. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about me, I, I I'm I mean I'm getting back up there, but I, I'm I, it's been a struggle the last four years. Okay, last five in fact. <laughs> But I mean, we're comfortable. We had plenty of food. We had money for health care. We had were able to afford sending the kids to private school to give them, you know, a different education that would more it would tailor to them a little more, you know, their uniqueness a little more. Um, I mean, we've done all these things. And I know there's people struggling now because of the pan- pandemic. Um, there are people that lost jobs with lockdowns. The economy was hit pretty hard. And we have nothing to complain ourselves, but we know there's different situations out there. But I think it's very important to to go back these past four years and, and ground yourself on what your experience has been before you buy into the ideology and the narrative of what's going on somewhere else when you're not even there. Yeah, know? yeah. So. And, and, and we know that not everybody's situation is the same, right? There certainly are people that, that uh, are struggling. We, uh-huh. we get yes. that. Uh, we, we honor those stories. We want to hear those stories. We want to dig in, find out what the mechanics of those are. Um, but, you know, I think a lot of people were doing very well. They were enjoying what was happening, you know, really before uh, the pandemic uh, hit and then uh, uh, some of these uh, uh, constraints on uh, what you can do from a business and, and uh, working uh, perspective have, have really, you know, kind of shifted uh, where people's uh, lives were going. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I think that, with that where that does kind of focus me is, is around narrative. Um, narrative is very important because, uh, I think we feel that very much here. We've talked about it on other episodes, you know, uh, down in Brazil where we're at right now, you know, the news, at least in, you know, the house that we're living in, you know, is a very big part of it. And, and I do think that, you know, we've talked about it before that it is, uh, something that is, uh, 
runs through and it's it's cultural, right? That people go to the news, they trust the news for the most part. Obviously, there are going to be people that don't, but by and large, maybe much more than what happens in the United States. Do you think that's a generational thing? Maybe I don't know. I would Gen ask X? you. You probably know more about um, Brazil than I, can than just, I do. I can just speculate, really. Because he seems like, okay, parent figures for me, my parents, my American parents that I have in the U.S., um, your mom and dad, the older generation. I don't know that I can ask any of my friends if they watch the news. They probably say no, <laughs> you know, but yeah. I know our parents did. We're but, watching the news. But you know that they're they're consuming and, and what it probably is is short blip clips yeah. in social media. Yeah, probably. Right. Mm-hmm. So so very little context, you know, it's it's complex ideas reduced down to, you know, uh, uh, 20 seconds of audio. It's not a 24/7 thing like it is at least here for my parents. It's pretty much 24/7. Well, and, and I don't know what they're saying half the time, but I know you come down and you hear it. I and try it, and, not to. And, and it's just the same <laughs> stuff. it's very frustrating. Man, I mean, it, talk about beating you over the head. I mean, yeah. I hear the word vaccine, it seems like every 15 seconds, yes. you know? It's like, what is there nothing else happening in Brazil? Or the attack to democracy in America. Oh, yeah, 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 you know? I mean, it, it, that was reported almost immediately, and it was the yes. it was the attack on democracy, you know? Yeah, those very key words. And so, you know, maybe it's important when we talk about narrative, um, because a lot of you listening to this, you know, you might not have consumed any other narrative than what uh, has been delivered through what we would call, you know, primary news uh, sources that, you know, filter into social media and stuff like that. So um, there was a clip that we wanted to play uh, from The High Wire, which we go to most often for... Uh, stuff around health information. health information in the medical freedom movement, and it's a fantastic resource. That's uh, Del Bigtree, who is the host of the High Wire, and he has a whole team of uh, producers that per, that uh, create that content, and then they also uh, fight legal battles uh, mm-hmm. around medical freedom for as the well. people. For the people, yeah. So they work for us. It's a nonprofit, so uh, so let's play that clip just to give us a little bit of of additional context and. Uh, you might find it interesting who he uh, uh, has on there. But it's going to start out with uh, some live video from the Capitol when the um, the kerfuffle. <laughs> yes, and you won't be able to see it. but Yeah, but you can just hear, and, and, hear. and then we'll go into him interviewing with, uh, with the guest. There was a little bit of uh, pepper spray that got in the, the uh, person filming's face. Right 
some water! I need some water! I need some water! Water, water, water! Uh, it's obvious now that my call was to my very good friend, Mickey Willis, uh, director, producer of the worldwide sensation, uh, sensation Plandemic, uh, working on another documentary. Found him at the front door there where everything was happening. I'm joined by Mickey, who is uh, joining us from the airport right now in Washington, D.C., I believe on his way home. Mickey, um, first of all, thank you for joining me. Um, I know we're on a cell phone, so we'll see how well this goes. But a very chaotic situation. You sent me that video. You know, we, we're hearing discussions about rioters, incredible, you know, footage. There have been people that have been shot and, and you know, a really, really dangerous uh, situation, it seemed, yesterday. But you were closer than anyone I know, and you're someone that, you know, I, I want to get perspective from. So that, though I've heard about, like, the violence, I hear people saying we love you in there. I don't know who they're saying we love you to. I don't understand what's taking place. Can you give me some sense of what your perspective is from where you were at um, in D.C. when this overtaking of the White House took place or of the Capitol took place? I, I sure can, and thank you, Del, for this opportunity to set the record straight. So I want to be uh, really clear about my position here. So I was with about five crew members, as you mentioned, filming our, our next movie. And there are many entrances to the Capitol building, as you can imagine. And so we were at one, one of the main entrances. And so I can only speak from the perspective of what we witnessed, I witnessed, from being directly in the mix from this one entrance. What happened on the other entrances and, and what other people might report may, may be contrast to what I'm about to tell you. But in general, what I, I've been on the front line as an activist for over 15 years now, and I've seen, I've seen a lot of good and bad behavior from both the law enforcement and from citizens. And I will say that the vast majority of the behavior that I witnessed and my crew witnessed, I asked them on the, on the Uber ride over here, I wanted to get a detailed report of what they saw, and it was exactly what I saw. Um, and then we also talked with some more citizens at the airport, and they reported the same stuff, people that were on the front line. And that is, the, as you mentioned, there were grandfathers, grandmothers, babies in strollers, a lot of smiling people that were there. And I want to make this very clear, from both parties, while it was absolutely a uh, majority of the people would lean right or would c consider themselves as Donald Trump supporters, I met and interviewed a lot of people that identified as left. And when I asked them the simple question, my question to everyone was, why are you here? And their, their expression was very, very clear. They knew from studying the case that there was enough evidence to warrant an investigation for the elections. And that if we don't do that, and the people lose faith in our system, that we will never, ever again have a fair and free election, nor will we have democracy. And so they were there simply to fight for their freedom, their civil liberties, and for their human rights. And again, people on both sides. And so that's the majority. And there were also a lot of people... Uh, take note of this, a lot of people from former communist regimes, people from North Korea, people from Cuba, people from Venezuela, people from Russia, all over, speaking out loud on bullhorns or, or on camera in any way they can to say, please hear us because we've been through this. We've come from a situation where we can recognize what's happening here. And for Americans who haven't recognized this or experienced this before, lived through it before, we're here to say, please wake up. There's something happening in this nation that we would never imagine could ever happen. We escaped this experience 
to, to come to the land of the free, the home of the brave. And now we're completely perplexed that it could actually happen here and that so many, uh, so many citizens uh, would fight for it to happen, would be on the side of the oppressors. And so this, is, this was a very common dialogue. So what I witnessed, I want to also be clear that the, the breaching of, the, of the, the, one of the main entrances, which is where I was staged, to simply record what was happening. I, I knew that the media would stretch it out of proportion, so I was there to record everything that happened. Mm -hmm. And we arrived right after the door was breached. And so who breached it, how it was breached, their behavior of those individuals, I have no idea. I wasn't there, and I, I, can't, I, can't, I, I can't deny or, or confirm uh, any of the reports about that. What I can say is, Five minutes or so after the doors were breached, my camera crew and were there, and what we witnessed were the I love yous that you heard, Dell, where people telling the police, we love you, we support you, we are the ones who fought for you when everyone was trying to abolish the police, defund the police. It was us that was fighting for you because we respect your job, we value your position. Please don't see us as the enemy. Please don't. Please understand that the only reason we're here is because we feel that we are not seen and we are not heard. And all we're trying to do is to let those people inside know, the people that we've elected to, to govern our society, that we are not happy with the decisions they're making and that we need to be heard and we need to be seen. That's all we want to do. And there were a couple of times, uh, there's always, at, this called agitators, frontline agitators. There's always people that come to the front line. They're typically part of the other side of the argument and they come to the front line and they're the ones who push. They're the ones who throw things. It's because they know that the media then will condemn this, the side that they, that they think they're battling. Right. And so there was definitely some of that. Um, I, I saw some Antifa type members, people that I can identify definitely from having been in this game long enough to know that they're Antifa. I didn't see them causing a great deal of trouble on the outside. I hear they did on the inside. But there were a lot of uh, patriots, people that love our nation and that were simply asking to, to, to come into the building so that their voices could be heard. One thing I would have loved to have seen, particularly in a free democratic society, is for someone to have come out to speak to the people, to say, if this, if this number of people are gathering here with a complaint, whether we agree with it or not, if this number of people of all races, of all sexual orientations, if they're here standing at our door wanting to say something, we need to find a representative from this group to listen to the people. That's what a real democracy is. But they were not interested in that. And as you'll see in a lot of the videos, the police were inviting people in, inviting people to actually you know, to, to, to breach the, the parameter of the front doors. There were some cops that were either told to do that or took it upon themselves to do that. And I don't know why. I don't know if that was the plot, if they wanted us to, be, to, to do that so that they could then use the narrative that they're using now that it was just a bunch of right-wing terrorists, which is not the truth of the matter in the situation. Um, but I also witnessed a couple of things that um, I, I, I hope is what I witnessed what I, what I think I witnessed, and that was a moment of about 10 or 12 uh, riot-dressed police officers, law enforcement, that were clearly affected by what the people were saying. The people were reaching them. And you could see it in their faces. And they would say, listen, they're listening to us. They're, they're, you could see the emotion on their faces. And then suddenly, they wanted out of the building. And it was very curious to me that they didn't choose numerous safe exits that they could have gone out. They wanted to come out through the people. And when they did, everyone said, move aside, let them through, protect these people, let them into the safety. They patted them on the back. They said, thank you. 
We love you. We're with you. We're all humans. We're in this together. It doesn't matter what side we're on, but thank you so much for standing down and respecting the will of the people. And that was a very inspiring, hopeful moment that we all had together. We thought massive progress was being made. And then the agitators start pushing forward. And then that's when we all got blasted with, with pepper spray and everything else that, that caused us to, to, to disperse. All right, that was uh, Mickey Willis, the uh, filmmaker who produced the uh, film Plandemic, which we are big fans of. Definitely check that out, yes. uh, plandemicseries.com. Uh, and uh, he's on Dell Big Tree's The High Wire. And what, what struck you from what uh, he said about what occurred there, at least what he witnessed in the small area he was in? Yeah, that people wanted to be heard, and there were people from both sides there, from what he said. And he shared there the people and there were children in strollers. There is, I mean, if you're going to go do acts of violence, you don't hopefully bring your children with you to do that. Well, but I do think it's it's a good point. And I wonder uh, what people really believe. Do they believe that, uh, I mean, I I think certainly if a group is is big enough, there are going to be some bad apples. And, And we're not talking about just what happened at the Capitol. I mean, that's whether, you know, you're at a, a county fairground, you know, or you're at a, uh, a, a concert, you know, there's going to be some people that are up to no good, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so are you going to characterize the entire, I mean, I don't know how many people were there today or at that day, but um, I mean, it was a lot. You can see in the pictures that basically the whole crescent was essentially a sea of red, white, and blue. And so, are you saying that, I mean, really, it only takes a handful to get in and cause a little bit of trouble inside the building. So are we saying that uh, that handful gives that entire lawn of people millions a bad name? Of people, right? Well, I, I don't know if it was millions, but I mean, it, it, was, it was a lot, right? It was, it was definitely one of the biggest events that uh, they've had there. And so that is the narrative, right? The narrative is that these few that got in really uh, uh, caused a lot of damage and, and uh, uh, violence. And uh, we do know that, you know, some police officers, there were some injuries. One did have a heart attack uh, and passed away. And then uh, uh, there was a woman who got shot inadvertently. I didn't really understand that. I saw the video of it. It was, it was, it was weird. I've got some questions there. But, uh, um, yeah. But what were you going to say? I was going to say, he said there were people from both sides there. And the main reason when he was polling the people asking them, why are you here, was they thought there was something wrong with the elections and they didn't want our democracy or right, you know, to vote or our our choice candidate to be taken away from us or be manipulated. So if there are questions, uh, I heard somebody say, well, because he hasn't been proven in a court of law. I'm like, okay, that's, that's true. But then the court of law doesn't it also, really want to look at the evidence. It also hasn't so. been heard. It hasn't been heard in a court of law. Yeah, so it the, hasn't been heard. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there's a lot to that, too, if you dig in and read the, uh, um, you know, why the courts aren't hearing it, you know, you see thematically a lot of the same stuff. And sure, a lot of people say, well, look, if a, if a judge says that, then, you know, that's the final word. And, and uh, but, you know, can there be corruption in uh, 
the judicial system that, that, that is keeping that from being heard. And again, we're open to either, uh, either story, right? We're open to there not being enough fraud. I think that anyone who has done a little bit of research and seen some of the footage and stuff, you know there was some fraud. Now, whether there was enough fraud to say, hey, this impacted the, the election, okay, I get that. That's a question. But, but it's certainly, we know that some fraud occurred. So it would be nice just being in the public if somebody's bringing that to the table, somebody looks at it and says, okay, there's not enough here to say that the election was swayed, and, and they didn't even look at that evidence. Yeah, what that reminds me, too, of is I think the only time that I was actually actively uh, active in politics or actively really active in politics, yeah. pursuing a Ron Paul candidate, we really thought that he could bring tremendous change to America, and we were at a caucus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Remember the, the uh, Missouri caucus in Liberty, Missouri. Yeah. And it was the foundation of the whole system to me, right? Sitting there, um, delegates would be decided at that particular meeting for our county, or was it for? Yeah, I think it was county, I think. County, yeah. So it was like the lower, one of the lowest levels of election, and we were there. And we had meetings beforehand, the Libertarian part, uh, Party or the group in our um, county was getting together. And they were saying, they were even like, we're talking about strategy because we knew. We, we had a lot of us. Yeah. And, and, we knew uh, that the establishment didn't want Ron Paul to win. Yeah, we so, knew that. So we actually had to like not go in together and we had to yeah. like... Um, sit apart and uh and what was interesting about that is that you know i'll give them credit they, they're they smart and the other uh, when you say they who are you talking about the establishment candidates mm-hmm. they essentially got together the i mean not the candidates but the groups that were backing those candidates got mm-hmm. together and then they uh strategized to figure out how many ron paul uh supporters were there um, to get an idea to see how they needed to proceed. And uh, they were quite uh, clever about it, and they figured yes, it out. Yes, they had, they had everybody supporting the Republican. No, it was the Republican caucus, right? Yeah. So everybody, to, they started backwards. They didn't start with Ron Paul, remember? They started with the other people. And so I think Mitt Romney, wasn't he one of the candidates? Yeah, Romney, Santorum. Santorum. Actually, I think two candidates, the two groups for two candidates even like joined together because they didn't have enough people. And then once they, they asked all of them to stand up. And then I remember our leader said, told all of us, if they ask us to stand up, don't stand up. But then we were watching what they were going to do. We were the last ones, and they stood up. So we just, by reflex, stood up too. And they saw how many of us were there. And from there on, whatever that side of the room, the side we were on, spoke, the speaker, the how do you call the 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 
leader, the representative or the person that was leading the meeting, I can't remember what they called that person, he basically just ignored their side completely. Yeah. And they broke a bunch of rules. We knew the rules of the caucus. We had studied. We were prepared. And they basically didn't hear us at all. And then those delegates ended up going. I don't even know. I don't think Ron Paul did. He didn't get the nomination, wasn't that? No, good? no. Yeah. So I mean, it was like a a, a room with what you what would you say three hundred people. It's probably fair, yeah. Yeah. So we're like, man, if it is rigged at this level. Oh, exactly. <laughs> that's exactly. What happens at the the macro, you know? So I can only imagine then for people in that crowd to just get confused or not know okay like these people are going in and you know what are we doing well maybe we need to go in maybe they some people even said those uh policemen actually opened the way didn't we see a video they were actually opening yeah, I mean, the way it's, it's, they didn't contain the people at all actually i even saw some people like waving them in yeah it seemed like it was different all around the the there were some places where they were trying to hold people back there were other places they were just letting them in the other places yeah. they they were having kind of a scuffle it was just weird and uh i, I don't know the the full story but to to say that i know is improper and to say like for the for the news media to make to yeah. speculate that this is a terrorist attack is uh is really sad that that uh, they wouldn't dig a little deeper because they, they had named it that like within minutes yeah. of it happening it wasn't like hey you know we need to do an investigation we need to see what happened we need to review the video uh find out who these these people are and you know they they have found out who a lot of those individuals are and they and they have taken a lot of those people into custody and uh some of them i heard have already been released some of them are, are still in custody so you i mean the, the the people who broke in the broke police in. or the fbi had bro- brought them in yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know which uh, agency, but but yeah, I, I know that some of those people have been uh, arrested. You know, they they've been found and arrested. They were identified and uh, they're found and arrested. And uh, what happens to those people? I don't know that we'll ever hear. And will we ever hear who those people uh, really back? Are they somebody who back? Especially who, who supports with the censorship, because it looks like whatever goes against the. Uh, the narrative or the story that's been widely t- told ends up being fact-checked and censored. So yeah. I don't even know that a lot of people there. I know Mickey Willis that was there, you know, he's already been, his documentary was censored yeah. by the technocrats that haven't been elected by anybody. So how do you find out? <laughs> What's going on? And I think the only way for us to really assess things is not by going by outside sources, but really look at your immediate experience. You know, the the last four years and then not, you know, again, I'm also not a Trump supporter, uh, but... You're not a Biden supporter either, but... <laughs> I'm not, but I am for democracy. Yeah. You know, and I'm for free speech. I think my radar is always tends to go, and, and this is the interesting thing is you you have to understand the framework that the people that you are communicating and trying to bond with 
in whatever way, you need to understand the framework of where they come from. You know, so like the framework that Fabi and I come from, when we look at the media, we, we do uh, tend to come back to our experience around uh, uh, modern medicine, especially with, with, with vaccination and seeing the suppression of data yes. around that, you know, as far as the science, again, I'm using air quotes, you can't see that, you know, and how it's the- like science encompasses everything. I even would like to ask different people what that what does the word science mean to them because yeah. it just seems like okay the science has spoken which 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 basically means whichever scientist has enough uh, clout in in politics uh, is, is setting the uh, uh, the expectation you know even though there's other science happening and that yeah. is publishing data and uh, proving certain things out if they don't have the mouthpiece and they don't and they aren't getting the the uh, the kudos, then it's like they don't exist. So, but if they speak against the narrative too, what then, yeah. happens to them? They are defunded. They are really discouraged. We even had some friends of ours in, in kind of going in a little bit of a tangent here, but they were talking about this uh, doctor's practice that they go to, where they do a lot of extensive testing to look at a person's profile to see if they can handle vaccines, and if they can't then they will write them an exemption and they will have all the data to back up their decision where now they're not doing that anymore because their mentors are actually being, um, they're just, how they're, does she call that? Sh- shakedown kind of yeah. like, you know? By, by the government of California, basically, you know, they've been in, they're being investigated. And so now here they can't um, fulfill their, their Socratic oath to do no harm because they might get reprimanded and they might get their licenses license taken away so well by the government and so so that is when i say look at somebody's framework as far as where they come from we know that the media paints a picture to push a specific narrative out we know that because they do that around vaccination and 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 uh uh, pharmaceutical drugs in general. So you, they're there because the media makes money from the uh, advertisements that the pharmaceutical companies uh, uh, pay into them to uh, put their commercials and whatnot on. So yeah, we gotta start really. We gotta get following smart. Following the money. Follow the trail. money. And yeah. and so so. Who w- is benefiting from pandemics? Who is benefiting from? Uh, quote-unquote, terrorist attacks. I mean, really, we got to start asking those questions and bringing it back down to our personal experience and and be able to think for ourselves, which is really hard in this day and age. It is really hard because there is so much information, so we get it. It's hard. And it's hard to do research because not everybody has all the time in the world. But if there is a... A subject that you were passionate about, you know, like Leo is really passionate about the politics and the whole story behind it. And I am pretty passionate about health, if you haven't noticed. (laughs) So, you know, if there's something important to you that you want to educate others about it, because you we can't know one person can know about everything, you know, but if there's something that you're passionate about, no, share with others, share your research, your experience with it. Well, and, and also be willing to be wrong, yeah. right? Because, I mean, I, I know one of the biggest things that we were concerned about 
with doing a podcast is, you know, you're putting something down that's permanent. Yes. You know, it's... Kind of, because Big Tech could... <laughs> well, I mean, if they don't censor it, right? But I mean, yeah. I mean, you're putting it down there and somebody can record it, just like we played those clips for you yeah. of those other uh, interviews and whatnot. Uh, somebody could be doing the same thing with our show and then putting it in their show yeah. and whatnot. And so, so it's becoming part of the record. And you know that new information is always available. So there is infinite information out there if you're willing to look for it. Mm-hmm. So we are willing to be wrong. We're willing to, to look at new information. We're willing to put that into the, the, uh, the, the puzzle and see what it looks like. But a lot of people, and this is, you know, like we experienced this, you know, you were talking with a friend last night, you know, they're not willing to take in new information. I mean, literally people like that say things like, look, this is where I'm at. You know, I feel it deep in my soul. I don't want new information. What I feel is my truth, and uh, this is w- that's where I'm always going to stay with it. Yes, and and sometimes it's just because there's something else that a trauma, like the vaccine thing. I have to be honest. There was a pretty traumatic event in our lives with our child. You know that we're still working through because once the damage is done it's really hard to to reverse it so I carry that within me and I haven't gotten any compensation back for it I haven't really gotten you know anybody to I mean I've been discouraged to to pursue it because of diagnoses um, and most people that I know I mean completely discount what happened just I have people ask me but how do you know I'm like well I have a ton of test data but I had to go to a ton of doctors and spend a bunch of money (laughs) to get all these tests done to be able to even correlate what happened to him and 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 it's it's crazy that you have to go to that extent well and and, and it it comes back though to the clip we played it played at the beginning you know it's Deal with the raw data yeah. and trust yourself. Yeah. You did that. You know, we were doing all this testing. You got all this data. You saw it and you said, God, nobody's even willing to to request these tests. You well, know, th- not that they're willing. They don't know. I didn't know. No, but I'm I talking about the either. doctors. I had to pay like a ton of, because they don't know either, apparently. So you got to find the right practitioner that knows about it. And then you you got to pay out of pocket because insurance doesn't cover. So it's really hard to figure it out. You know, even though you see with your own eyes, your child is one way one day and then the next day they're not like that anymore. And then you go like, what happened? You know, and when you can only point to one thing that happened and then people don't believe you. <laughs> but, but, but really the important thing, though, in that lesson was that you were open to new information. You know, because you could have just said, oh, woe is me. Um, yeah, my child is was. injured. I'm just going to live with this. But you're like, you know what? Just because there's nobody out there that's giving me the path. Right. Okay? Nobody gave me the path. I, I had to walk the path myself. Just got to get out there. You got to get your machete out and you got to start cutting down those branches, you know. And it's really the same thing with like the politics and whatnot. And what's really interesting to me about the politics is that people have really strong opinions, yet a lot of them don't know anything. Meaning, when I say don't know anything, I mean, they don't know any of of the stories. They don't know any of the uh, stuff that's happening. You know, all they know are headlines. 
That's all they know. It's like, oh. Well, or gra- pretty graphs. Or pretty graphs. That's all they know. And then when you try so, to. So that's what is frustrating. So you try You'll to give them. you come at me with a pretty graph. And then I have this history, right? And this trauma. And you've got all this data. But I've got all the data. <laughs> I'm not just going off the trauma. <laughs> you know. I've got the data in here. I can show you all the data. You know. I can do that. But don't. Don't just come at me. I'm open to your graph, but I hope that you are open to also uh, hearing back from me my criticism about the graph that really is just pretty with a few words, but it doesn't really tell you very much. (laughs) Well, and and I really, I I don't want this episode to go too long, right? So we're, Uh we are at like 52 minutes right now. So let's try to keep it around an hour here but what i do want to make sure we touch on is the censorship yeah right because that's really important and i really want to pose the question to people you know what do you believe about censorship you know what what do you believe is as what is the situation when censorship is right or is there a situation because if censorship is right in a certain uh case who is the arbiter of when that's happening yeah you we know? have the judici- ju- ju- judicial system. <laughs> yes. We have that right to medi- mediate. Mediate, figure that out. Yeah. Yes, but now we have these people that are funded by the technocrats <laughs> to do this fact-checking that are no experts on anything. To just, If I were to post my story on Facebook and put any link about anything, I probably would get censored. And nobody would hear my story. I've been censored. Yeah, I've had my, my stuff fact-checked. It's weird, too. Sometimes you don't get the fact-check for a little bit. And, th- and then you're <laughs> like, what was that? I don't even remember what I typed there, you know? And it's like four or five days later, you know? But Again, but th- they're not elected officials. They're not judges. They're not anything. So how do they have all this power? Well, and and so you may find it interesting because, again, you may not have visibility of this, but um, if you look at, and and, and I'm going to tell you, I'm I'm not really a fan of conservative talk shows. That's not my bag. I don't don't like that. I like people who are more, uh, give you an idea, one of my favorite people is uh, Jimmy Dore, and he used to be on The Young Turks. He's a progressive, and he, what I like about him is that he goes after his own people, meaning he's not afraid to... Uh, call out his own party. I think personally, those are the people that we should be uh, uh, jumping on the bandwagon for because they're showing you where the grift is happening. They're saying, look, this person says they're pushing policies that I want, but they're really uh, 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 doing something else behind the scenes. So he's not willing to just tow the party line and say, hey, we got to back progressives no matter what, even if they're doing shady stuff, he's willing to go after them. you got plenty of people on the other side of the aisle that go after him, but it means something to the base to look at things more uh, um, uh, uh, objectively when it's somebody on your side that is calling that out. And so I really appreciate that. But with censorship, you know, you're actually seeing right now, and if you're unaware what's going on, uh, you know, you've got Trump, most of the people within his administration having, you know, a lot of their social media channels either suspended or completely removed. You've got a lot of major conservative. I think I saw something, a statistic, and again, may not be scientific, but it said something like 35% of the uh, top conservative 
pundits or whatever that that use social media have been essentially kicked off. You know, they can't have YouTube channels, can't have Twitter feeds, all that. So, you what are, what are you trying to do? If you are muting those voices, or what are you trying to say? You're trying to say that the what the other side is saying is dangerous, rather than combat it and hit it head on and say, "Hey, let's lay the proof out. Let's lay it out and let's walk through it and let's show you why either it doesn't have merit or uh, potentially does have merit." But instead of doing that, let's uh, you know not let's not fight ideas with better ideas. Let's just mute and silence. And so you actually, I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine who said, well, you don't understand. It's not censorship, Leo, because these are uh, 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 private. For, private for-profit businesses. And they're right. That person's right. That actually is the case. But I said, are, are we in a different situation nowadays because you have these ubiquitous platforms that everybody uses? I mean, literally, there's a handful of primary platforms. You know, there's Facebook, there's YouTube, there's Twitter. And those really, if you looked at those compared to the other platforms, they just, I mean, they, they're gargantuan. You know, that's where everybody is. That's where the eyeballs are. And they're really setting the tone. So if, if those three, and then there's obviously Google from a search perspective, because mm-hmm. uh, then they're, you know, muting voices as far as the uh, people's websites showing up in search results. Yeah, their algorithms yeah. get manipulated. So so if those four companies get together, you essentially mute an entire side of the conversation. But remember, what you're seeing now is these people, or actually I wanted to tie this into what my friend said, you know, he said, you, you have to start your own uh, network if you want uh, it to be freedom of speech and all that. So then what happened is some people did that. They started this parlor, which is a Twitter uh, competitor. And and I'll be honest with you, I, I find it kind of clunky. I, it's hard to use. I, I'm not a huge fan. I got an account on it. And and then what happened is uh, somebody appealed to, oh, the, the employees of Amazon Web Services appealed to Jeff Bezos saying, hey, we need to get rid of parlor because they're hosting on our uh, cloud infrastructure. So, so was that the story that some employees 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 were banned? Yeah, that that was the the article I saw in like Wall Street Journal. I think it was that employees. You trust that? Well, I'm not that saying were I, the employees that appeal to. Well, no, I'm telling you that's what the I'm story just, was. That, that, that's what weird. that's what Amazon <laughs> said. Okay. So so uh, so why was that again? They the employees. The employees. What are the, we talking? Like fifty percent of the employees, thirty percent. Oh, I don't. I, I, I'm sure it was. I'm sure the article did not have <laughs> data on the number of people. Um, but uh, uh, basically, they they appealed saying that they're appalled at uh, the violence of these protesters and that they are doing this planning and plotting on this platform, Parlor, oh, wow. and so. Uh, Amazon Web Services kicked them off. So literally kicked. So there, there was no tribunal. No. Yeah, yeah. There, there, there was, there was no. Hey, we're going to take you to court. Okay. And well, we're, we're going to investigate. Is this really happening? Do we have evidence? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did and let's present that evidence. That? No, no. There was none of that. No. There was none of that. Wow. Um, and, and so, well, but that's not the half of it because uh, now it's coming out that that uh, uh, there. Individuals, I'm not sure if uh, who they are, but they have copies of all the user data. 
Okay, I don't know if it was a hacker group or what, but somebody has copies of all the user data in Parler, and and there has been organizations that have said they're going to use that data to flag these people and not like maybe put them on no fly lists and stuff. People who are oh. using Parler put them on no fly lists, and again. That totally hasn't like that hasn't proven him. out yet, but I mean they're literally talking about that, and you have policymakers saying that we need to track any people that we can know that were at that event, and then and then potentially uh, uh, put types of punishment on on how they interact uh, in the internet and whatnot. I mean that's pretty wild. I mean that that harkens to the Chinese. Um, social credit system where essentially everything you do from, you know, if you get into an argument with somebody at the uh, grocery store and they put a complaint (laughs) in about you, it can knock 10 points off your score. And then you might not be able to get, you know, a loan for a car at as good a rate, or you might not be able to uh, uh, buy a property in a specific neighborhood. I mean, they've got all these, these crazy rules over there and that's coming over here. I mean, that model has proven out that it's effective to help control people. So my point is, when you push all these people off of these social networks, which I think somebody estimated what I was reading earlier, that 25 million people have uh, uh, vacated the major platforms and gone to uh, some of these other platforms like Parler and, and uh, Gab and stuff like that. So so 25 million people. In fact, Twitter lost $5 billion in market value. I think I read that Facebook lost something like, I, I didn't get to check this out, but I thought they said they lost something like uh, $13 billion or something. I mean, it was nuts as far, because so many people have left and, and, and an exodus and they're not av- available, you know, to be marketed to and whatnot. So, so there's a real cost to that. Not that I care what happens to these companies, but, you know, now these people are trying to go to these other uh, 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 platforms. And now you've got these same lawmakers and stuff saying, hey, we need to go and uh, kick these other platforms off of the App Store and and stuff like that. And it's just nuts. So where do these... so, So they're saying, look, instead of hearing these people out and understanding where they have challenges and where they want to see, uh, uh, you know, a hand across the aisle. We just want to mute those voices. Where, where does that happen anywhere and it be successful? Mm-hmm. I mean, where does it happen anywhere? It doesn't make any sense to me. So you, and, and, and here's the other thing is you're putting it into an underbelly, right? It's down in, in these, these less, lesser used social media. Also, you're creating this delineation where you've got all these other people that are out on the main platforms, and then they're under this construct that everybody's happy and everybody's, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, getting along, and they all agree with policies and stuff. And everybody else is left, and they're on these, uh, uh, you know, fifteen, twenty other disparate platforms. And you know, maybe they're angry and they're saying angry things, but nobody hears about them, and nobody debates with them. Nobody gives them additional information to say, hey. But have you thought about this? Have you expanded your viewpoint on this? That's what free speech does. You fight ideas with better ideas. Yes. That's what it is. And, and, if, you, and if your ideas aren't better, then guess who needs to look at themselves in the mirror? <laughs> okay? <laughs> you, you need to look at yourself and say, man, I, I really can't make that argument. I don't know. I, I just want it to be true. But I can't make yeah. the argument. You know, and maybe that's a, a sobering thought for, for yourself. So, I mean, it's just it's just nuts to me. I mean, Fabi and I are not even 
Republican. We do. We 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 are not fans of the Republican Party. We're not I mean, fans we're of the Democrat Party. Of any of the popular parties, you know? because if they're popular, that means follow the money trail. Somebody got them up there. I mean, it's the little people that really try to make the difference. I think. But we know wrong when we see it, you know. And and it doesn't mean that there aren't there aren't other wrong things going on. But there there are people fighting all these different battles, you know, this is one that, that hits close to home for me. What, what are you going to? Oh, no, I wanted to ask you a question, bringing it more closer to home and okay. direct experience. Okay. Um, who would you not debate? Is there anybody close to you that you, you don't trust as far as like, you don't trust that they would do the right thing, let's say, because the question of control always revolves around we don't trust that the majority of people can make good choices and do the right thing, right? So is there anybody in your life, and you don't need to name names, but is there anybody in your life that you feel like, oh, that person he would never do? You know, he never did the right thing if if he had free reign and if there was nobody controlling you, there was no government, no technocrats. No, I can't think of anybody. I mean, obviously, I think some people would do a better job than others. <laughs> but I mean, I, I, I think that, that you got to make your mistakes. You know what I mean? It's the mistakes that uh, uh, create the interesting people. They they uh, uh, they give those people the opportunities to learn. It's, you know, it's the people that, that don't engage with their potential bad decisions that, you know, don't really understand uh, either their utility or lack of utility. So I, I, I don't, I can't think of anybody off the top of my head. Not anybody saying, that says things are dangerous. Oh, dangerous things. No, <laughs> no, because at the, again, at the end of the day, I do think that if they're dangerous, I mean, what are you saying when you're saying they're well, dangerous? dangerous? I would say like... The things you're putting out there are actually inciting violence in some way, telling people to, oh, if we don't get this right, you know, let's get our guns and go out there. And Yeah, I mean. What about the people that, that say those kinds of things? You know, because that seems like it's the big argument. It's people that say, try to organize to do bad things or... Because if we're talking about free speech, everybody would have free speech, right? Like hate speech or all the other types of speech. Well, I mean, the spe- here's the thing. The speech would is, be allowed. The speech is still going to happen. Okay? It's either going to happen out in the open where everybody can see it, or it's going to happen where it's hidden, and only the people who are directly involved are going to see it. And then, the, and, and really, when you think about it, that's the scarier situation. Because that's where you have this underbelly this group of people this unknowns you know that that are plotting and there aren't any sane voices in the room to not only try to talk them out of it but also to report them (laughs) okay there are no sane voices there so so really what the censorship is doing is creating the next problem and if you don't see that then you know, and that's really what I wanted to come to with like the clip of, of Mickey Willis. You know, he's he's saying, look, you know, what was going on here, we don't understand the full scope of, but it certainly is not 9-11. You know what I mean? It, it, that they're making it out to be and that they're saying, you know, the, the world needs to stop because uh, 
a podium got knocked over and a guy wearing no shirt and horns, you know, took a photo at the uh, uh, Speaker of the House's spot. I mean, <laughs> give me a break. Do, do I want it? No. But I mean, it's not that dramatic. Okay. It's not dramatic. You just you just want it to be dramatic because you know it, it it's a, a means to an end, you know. Mm-hmm. It, 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 and and I'm just trying to tell you that the short term gains of that for one side are going to get spent very very quickly, and uh, you're probably not going to like the the outcome. It's not going to bring people together. That's what we want to do. We want to bring yeah. people together. And that's not what it does. And, and, and what Mickey was saying in that clip was that there were people on both sides of the spectrum. Obviously, the lion's share, uh, right-leaning Trump supporters. But there were uh, left-leaning people, Democrats maybe, um, that were also just concerned about election fairness. You know, they, yeah. they're saying, look, we want to see. We saw enough kooky stuff that we want the evidence laid out and we want somebody to say, yes, this was either impactful enough or it wasn't, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, they took time of their, you know, lives, time out of their lives to make the sacrifice because I even heard that hotels were not... Were not, yeah, they didn't want to, uh, people to stay there that were there for the protests. Some yes. hotels had shut down so that they wouldn't mm-hmm. have to uh, to serve those people and whatnot. Yeah. Again, you know, private businesses make decisions they need to make. Mm-hmm. But but I do think, and one thing we didn't bring up was Section 230. If you're unaware what Section 230 is, I did want to note it. That is the um, legislation that basically, uh, uh, you know, it, it's uh, liability protection for these, uh, you know, social media companies or media companies in general. It's the difference between being a platform or a publisher. So under Section 230, if you are a platform, then you, people can essentially say whatever they want to say. And and if it incites violence, then you can't be held liable for that. Um, And then if you want to curate content, meaning censor, um, then you don't, you shouldn't get Section 230 protections because now you are a publisher, which means there's like editorial review and uh, essentially muting a voice or kicking someone off for something they mm-hmm. said is curating the content on that platform. So, And you can curate both ways, right? You can curate for a beneficial way and you can also... Curate for curate negative. for negative, and who are who is making that decision? Yeah, of what to curate. Yeah, yeah. You know? Who's the it's arbiter? Not an elected of that. official is not a judge. It's not the courts. It's just some people in the room deciding. Okay, this is cool. This is not cool. We don't know who they are. We don't know what their filters are. Right, what their beliefs are. We don't know anything about them, and here they are influencing an entire nation. Yeah. Or a world because everybody's on those platforms around the world. So, I mean, I, I again, we just wanted to kind of, uh, this is therapy for us in, a, in, in one way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're not telling anybody what to believe. We do think there's a excellent case to be made for not uh, being a proponent of censorship. It may be working out for you and your belief structure at this point in time. But it doesn't mean that it will always stay that way. So, you know, remember the, the, the saying, um, you know, I don't uh, agree with what you're saying, but I will fight to the death for your right to say it. 
You know, that I think that's important. And it's not polite speech that needs protection. Okay. We, no, nobody needs uh, somebody to protect somebody from saying, I think you, I think your blouse is, looks nice. <laughs> okay. You don't, you don't need that. Okay. It, it is impolite speech that needs protection or uh, rather than impolite speech that does not follow the narrative. That yeah. is what needs protection. So if, you aren't protecting that speech in any way, shape, or form, who is making that decision? And people will say, well, you can't yell fire in an airplane. Yeah, you can't. Okay, you can't. But I mean, that, that's if you look at the limitations to, to speech, it's very, very, very nuanced, very niche. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, not nuanced. It's very, very specific. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, not nuanced. And uh, uh, in, in short, that list is extremely short. But... If we're starting to get into this thing where, you know, anything somebody says, if you even say that you love the American flag, then, you know, you're a, a racist or a, uh, um, you know, a, a bigot and, uh, uh, and a terrorist. I mean, talk about a slippery slope. I mean, it's, it's getting crazy here. So I want people to think about that and say, hey, you know, uh, try to learn more about the framework that the other person is, is coming from and, and, and try to build that connection with them based on that framework. Uh, and then also do your own research, get you know, you know, raw data and, and figure out what you think about it before you go to the, uh, uh, the pundits, the talking heads, and then they tell you what to believe about it. You know, I can't, I can't tell you how important that is. Get out there, view the, the unedited video, before you view the video where somebody's telling you this is what's going on and this is what's going on and this is what's happening. Or the unedited speech. Or the unedited the speech. President. Exactly. Right? Did he really incite violence? Yeah. And make your, you know, from that experience, make up your own mind. Don't let other people tell you how to think. Yeah. Let's, uh, should we end with that clip one more time? Sure. Okay, let's do that here. Or... Or what? We could read it. Isn't that anywhere online? No, I don't have oh, okay. it. I don't have it. So we'll, we'll play. <laughs> that would have been a good idea. I like I that. I know. I should have thought of that um, before we recorded. Well, you do, you do have it, don't you? Can, I do. Can you go grab it? I can. Okay, go grab it real quick, and I'll just kind of fill in for a minute while you get that. As you can see, we didn't do a ton of prep for this. It was ad hoc. We threw a very, very basic outline together. And uh, uh, we just try to throw our thoughts together. We know we ran a little bit long today. But, you know, I think it's important. This is a, a key moment in history. We don't know how this is going to work out. We really don't know what's going to happen on, you know, the 20th of January with the inauguration. You know, they're already uh, setting the stage for, oh, there's all these, uh, you know, uh, right-wing extremist groups that are going to be uh, marching with guns and, and inciting violence. And, and, uh, I know it just seems, just seems manufactured. It seems like, uh, again, maybe I'm wrong. I'm open to that, you know, but I'm also open to watching what's going on, who are the players and then, and then uh, making up my own mind, you know, you have that. Do you want, can, do I read that or you read that? read my handwriting because you know i'm very dramatic when i read i mean you could i have to find it though hang on you can keep talking okay <laughs> um 
so I don't know. We don't know how it's going to work out. And we're okay with either either way, because I go back to what Fabi said. You know, it's um, look at your own situation, you know, and, and uh, are you in a dire state right now? And I know that some people are, but I mean, look at yourself is what I'm saying. And then, but even if you are in a dire state, you know, what's creating that state? Are you directly attributing that to uh, what the news is telling you that, this president or this political party or whatever is, 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 is doing. So anyway, with that, I'll stop uh, droning on and I'll, I'll, I'll read this again. Terrence McKenna, I think this is from the 80s or the early 90s. I'm not sure on the date exactly. But it's called Nobody is Smarter Than You Are. We all must try to understand what is happening. We need to try to understand what is happening. And in my humble opinion, ideology is only going to get in your way. Nobody understands what is happening. Not Buddhists, not Christians, not government scientists. No one understands what is happening. So forget ideology. They betray, they limit, they lead astray. Just deal with the raw data and trust yourself. Nobody is smarter than you are. And what if they are? What good is their understanding doing you? People walk around saying, I don't understand quantum physics, but somehow, somewhere, somebody understands it. That's not a very helpful attitude towards preserving the insights of quantum physics. Inform yourself. What does inform yourself mean? It means transcend and mistrust ideology. Go for direct experience. What do you think when you face the waterfall? What do you think when you have sex? What do you think when you take psilocybin? Everything else is unconfirmable rumor, useless, probably lies. So liberate yourself from the illusion of culture. Take responsibility for what you think and what you do. Terrence McKenna. Amazing. Trust yourself, people. All right. This is Leo and Fabi from the Collective Resistance Podcast. What do we say at the end, Fabi? Stay well. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Stay Stay curious. curious.